Welcome to episode 102 of Below the Fold, where some of the best content is just a scroll away. Today's conversation is around social media. We're going to be talking about the best practices of 2015, time management, what things you should look out for, and other things you should stay away from. What's up, everybody? I'm the host today. Uh, my name is Paxton Gray. I am the Director of Marketing Operations at 97th Floor. To the left of me, we have Jacob Perry. He's the Digital Marketing Manager over at Mary Genetics. How are you doing, Jacob? Good, Pax. Good to be here. Next to him, we have Nathan Birch. He's the Digital Marketing Manager over at Needle. What's up, hey. Nathan? Hey, everybody. And then finally, we've got Brandon Hassler. He's the Founder and CEO of Market Campus. How's it going, Brandon? What's up, my man? All right. So today, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about a social media um, so let's have Brandon kind of introduce the topic and, and start us rolling. Yeah, Paxton, I wanted to start the topic uh, about social media. It's 2015. Social media is obviously a very hot topic. And to get the conversation started, let's talk about some of the hot social networks that people, specifically marketers, should be taking advantage of. And uh, we'll kind of see where the conversation goes from there. Early adoption is a very popular Topic within social, Gary Vaynerchuk is an example of someone who is super huge on taking advantage of the social networks that are that are just popping up. Typically, agencies, companies won't adopt to social media until they start seeing the TechCrunch articles, Huffington Post. They start seeing that there's an actual real user base before they start investing into it. The problem with that uh, strategy is... Those companies, although, you know, Audi could adopt into a social network and do well because they already have an existing audience, but you're going to have a lot of early adopters who are going to have the big followings by the time you get on there and you've kind of missed out an opportunity. The problem with that is I believe it's easier said than done. Everyone could just say, oh, get on every social network and be active, but that's a lot of resources. And if you're a one-person website where it's just you running everything, you're going to have a lot less resources than someone like Audi or ESPN or an agency. So my my theory is take advantage of, of social media as much as your resources will allow. So be as many places as you can be while still doing a good job. Two networks that I'm putting a lot of focus in focus on with me personally, as well as with Market Campus. Uh, Instagram, I believe, is a huge, huge opportunity for marketers. Right now, we're looking at Instagram, and it's been around since October 2010, and we'll look at it and say, oh, Instagram, it's full, it's mainstream, it's super competitive. It is, but it's not compared to Facebook, and we know that Instagram is owned by Facebook, and if you, we all know where Instagram is going. Eventually, it's going to be a pay-to-play platform, uh, just like Facebook is. The advantage with Instagram, I feel, all the, the the brands and companies that I manage on Instagram versus the ones on Facebook, my engagement is through the roof on in, on Instagram compared to something like Facebook, and uh, and that's why I like it. So we recognize that. Instagram is not going to be the awesome network for marketers in in two, you know, 2016, 2017 because eventually Facebook is going to introduce algorithms to Instagram. The best content uh, is going to go up. Organic reach is going to go down on Instagram. So now is the important time to take advantage of building that audience before it gets really tough. It's, it's still tough compared to building an Instagram following in, in 2011, but where it's not anything uh, – it's not going to be nearly as hard as, as building an Instagram following in 2017. It's 2017. 
Um, anyone disagree or have thoughts on Instagram in terms of uh, the ROI that we get through it as marketers? Can you explain how are you getting ROI? What's the connection there between? Uh, we'll Instagram? say ROI, just uh, the effort that you put in versus the engagement that you get out of it. So we'll say you're building not talking money, you're talking engagement. Yeah, we'll say building brand loyalty, which I mean, even still, if you talk about lead generation, we could, I mean, we can keep money in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just getting, you know, accomplishing your business's goals, Instagram versus other networks. Are there networks where you're going to get a better return on your investment than Instagram? Sure. I, I think there are networks where you can get better returns. Twitter, I think, is a great platform to get really great engagement. And despite the fact that they're so large, I don't think they're at the point where they're considered like a pay-to-play network as Facebook is. Because, you know, the way Twitter's algorithm works is there's basically no algorithm and it just shows everything. Um, so as long as that's that's around, I think that that's going to be a very lucrative platform to, to build. I, I was just thinking, I think we're kind of getting ahead of the conversation a little bit, mostly because as I'm sitting here, you're talking about Instagram and how great it is, and I'm thinking about my own business, and I'm thinking Instagram would be a terrible place for me to go. At, at Mary Genetics, our target audience are physicians. They're doctors. They're, they're MDs. They're not spending their time on Instagram, and that's definitely not where I'm going to go to target doctors, right? I'm going to go to places like LinkedIn or even Facebook, right? I think Facebook is a better place to go with all the targeting and the ad network that they have. I guess my point is it's hard for me to answer your question about Instagram when I, that's not something I focus on. My question would be, how do we as marketers determine which platform is the platform we should be focusing on based on our industry? Yeah, I would agree. And Instagram, I personally believe that every single company should be and can be active successfully on Instagram. For example, with Market Campus, we are a digital marketing boot camp school. I talk, I talk to coding schools who are here in the area, and one of them, the social media managers, came up and said, well, Instagram and Pinterest are not our audience. We're not going to have success. Like, What can we take pictures of that's appealing? And I think that is the attitude of a very bad marketer in terms uh, of creativity because I think everything, even if it's just behind-the-scenes stuff, increasing your brand, a, a, a company like Myriad, especially with the advertising, I mean, Facebook's advertising capabilities, I think, crush everyone else in, t- in terms of the data that they have. But organic reach, I still feel like Instagram, like when I post content on Facebook versus Instagram, I'm getting more likes. I can get more visits from Instagram, even though we can't have links in the posts. You, you, you be smart. You send people through your profile link. I've seen a lot of success. I'm not arguing necessarily that Instagram is like the network because I can talk about cyber dust and the ROI that you could have through that. But I do feel that Instagram kind of has a stereotype that it's been tapped out by marketers. It's full. It's competitive. My argument, I guess, not even an argument. My, my point is I feel that as a marketer, we should still be really pushing a lot of focus on Instagram before it becomes that pay-to-play platform like Facebook. Yeah. So I think one of the topics we were talking about earlier is when there's a new network, how do we decide whether or not we should get involved? I think there's maybe one rule that we could probably apply to this is that if your target is an older demographic, it's almost certain that if there's a new platform, you should not be on it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to be a use good use of your time. But I think there are some other things that we should consider when it comes to how we invest our time in social media. 
apart from what, if it's a new platform, uh, I think there's also the option, a couple options. First of all, sometimes networks get older as time goes on. So Instagram, sure, the, the, the demographic on Instagram, I mean, we're, we're talking like teenagers, 20-somethings, and then maybe some 30-year-olds, but it's getting older. And, it's, and that's what's going to happen. It's what happened to Facebook. It's going to it happen to Twitter. That's what's going to happen to Instagram. So for somebody like Jerry, uh, Mary Genetics, who ha- has an older demo, it could be a good idea. Now would be the early adoption stage for somebody who has an older demographic on a platform like Instagram. So there's that to consider. Second, <clears throat> we can look at it from a different perspective when we think about marketing tactics on a specific platform. So if you look at Instagram, for example, yeah, it's, I mean, it's getting to the point where it's super saturated, right? But you have people coming in like Ikea or uh, Rick and Morty. I don't know if you guys know Rick and Morty, the Cartoon Network show. I don't, I don't nope. follow them, but they, both of those are using Instagram in such interesting ways. Rick and Morty, they do like this, it's like a choose your own adventure and they link multiple pictures. You can click on certain things, search on the web and follow this whole story all on the Instagram platform. So it's an old platform, new ways of marketing on that old platform, which could could be considered early adoption of new, it's not new technology, but it's new methods using old technologies. So there are different ways to be early adopters regardless of what the platform is, I'd say. Well, that's, that's actually an interesting concept. So you're saying basically that overall you have an adoption curve, but you're saying that your audience can actually have a different adoption curve for each social network. I, I actually like that. And Brandon, you, you started out by giving one big caveat where it was, if you have the budget, which allows, and, and, I, and I would integrate Paxson's caveat as well, if you have the budget, if your audience is there, and then I'd even throw in the third one, is it measurable? I mean, what are you actually measuring success to be? For me, in, in the, the B2B environment, I have to directly connect marketing spend to leads. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to first target, according to my budget, I'm going to target my audience, and I'm going to maximize that channel as much as I can. But I, I only know if I'm being successful based on the leads, based on the quality of the leads, based on how much content I'm putting out there based on the engagement of that content. I need to actually, I I need raw numbers. I I need the analytics behind what success is for each of the networks. For example, as Paxson was saying, you can have Instagram with a super young audience and that could be completely irrelevant to my business. So I'm first going to push money and marketing spend into, for example, LinkedIn. Or, for example, Perhaps I might find a, a niche in my audience in, on Facebook because, again, there is the, the older demographic. And Facebook is now old enough. It's gotten to the point where you have the younger generation, the, the early adopters will say, they, they aren't using it as much. They're instead using the Instagram and, and the other more, more interactive visual social networks. So I'm going to throw the caveat in. You've got to be able to measure it. And that is actually the biggest difficulty I've seen with social media. Now, the platforms that I use, yeah, I, I am able to connect directly how much I spend on content, how much advertising I spend on that. And at the end of the day, I can say I generated X amount of leads on that. But that's because of the tracking that I have enabled. A lot of the social networks, you have, for example, you have in-app experiences that completely mess up your analytics. 
it, it just goes haywire. For example, in Instagram, the only way that you can actually have a trackable link is by putting a URL shortener or creating a custom page, which then allows you to say, okay, someone actually came to my page, and the only place I'm advertising this page is on Instagram. Therefore, that's the way that I correlate success on Instagram. But I can only put links in my profile. And so my only call to action can be, here's a post, see my profile link. And sure, I can change that through, but a lot of the, uh, the newer platforms don't really accommodate for my third caveat, which is actually being able to show a raw number for success. So speaking on Instagram and ROI, as much as I love it, the one interesting I'm find the one interesting thing that I'm finding with a lot of these new networks that are popping up that are gaining a lot of momentum, we look at WhatsApp, who last stat I read has over 500 million active monthly users. We've got we've got Snapchat, which is approaching 200 million active users. We've got Cyberdust, which is getting a ton of momentum right now, which is uh, Mark Cuban's social network app. That one just launched last summer, so it's very new. What do they all have in common, all these new social networks? They're all much more direct conversation, instant messaging with users. I think as a society, we're starting to kind of get sick of the news feeds where it's, I log on to my social network, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and I go through the feed and then filter out in my mind what's interesting, what's not interesting, what's getting old. And it's kind of that same thing. Whereas I'm, I'm really active on Cyberdust right now, which if you haven't downloaded Cyberdust, check it out. It's available for all the major phone carriers. But what I love about it, and it's, it's so much different because it forces brands to be authentic, to have actual conversations one-on-one with people. And the nice thing is we don't have to worry about, with Snapchat and Cyberdust specifically, we don't have to worry about PR so much. We can have real conversations, voice our true opinions without the worry of it being on the front page of TechCrunch the next day saying, you, you won't believe what Clorox said to me because they can't do anything about it. And so wait. Do you think that that's going to deter media channels from quoting you, even though they won't be able to prove it on well, something have, like Cyberdust? They have to be right in there with it, otherwise it's gone. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about how Cyberdust works? So Cyberdust is very, I think we're all familiar with Snapchat, right? Yeah. Cyberdust is very similar to chat, uh, Snapchat. The, difference, the big difference they promote is that unlike Snapchat, it never hits like their servers at all. Snapchat technically is making never a copy. Saved on their server. Yeah, Everything it's never saved. Server. But yeah, Snapchat gets hacked all the time. Photos are always leaking. Cyberdust does not keep any copies, caches, whatever on their servers. So it's a lot more secure. It's also nice because Snapchat, I can still take photo. I can still I can still take a snapshot of our our text conversation with your name at the top. Even though yeah, you could technically. Try to, you know, you could argue that it's not true. Cyberdust makes it all very difficult. The thing I love about Cyberdust that Snapchat doesn't do is direct. I can blast out. Right now I have, I think, 98 followers on my Cyberdust. When I I take a photo, when I make a seven-second video, when I type out my thoughts on a text conversation, I blast that out to 98 different phones, and it pops up as if it's a text message on those people's phones. Whereas Snapchat, I have to go into Snapchat when I remember to, and then look at my feed, just like these other social networks are. And Snapchat's slowly kind of becoming a Facebook, a Twitter, where there's that existing feed. Granted, theirs is 24 hours. 
Cyberdyce has that ability to just hit people's phones and you can still, you can insert links. So I follow Business Insider, I follow Inc., I follow Mark Cuban, and they're able to promote YouTube videos, articles still, have direct conversations. And it's cool because like I've talked to Mark Cuban multiple times where he's gotten back to me personally answering a question. I'm sure obviously for, I mean, he's trying to, right. you know, pimp out the network a little bit. And, he's got and like, like 10 assistants who are responding to <laughs> But the network. that's what's so... And, and not, I'm not necessarily saying we all need to be on Cyberdesk, but I feel there's a trend where people really want that one-on-one interaction with brands. And you can you can become a brand so much easier by having one-on-one conversations, whereas Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's still very, let us talk to you and you can comment, but we're not always going to get back to you. Cyberdesk and Snapchat and, and WhatsApp, if you're not responding, you're not you're not visible. So it's forcing brands to, and you can take advantage because most people are listening to this. You guys maybe look, look you know, listening to me thinking, okay, yeah, there's Cyberdesk, not interested in downloading it. But the bottom line is, is there's millions of people that are using it and it's very uncompetitive right now with a lot of benefits as a marketer that are super cool. So I do feel that as brands with social, we need to get out of the whole rut of let us speak to you and you just listen and take advantage of these networks where we can really have those one-on-one conversations. Sure. And I think one interesting thing about Cyberdust, uh, I might have to retract my comment earlier. Cyberdust, I think, is one of those platforms that its initial audience is going to be maybe a little bit older of a demographic simply because of how Mark Cuban has been uh-huh. promoting it. Like, he's been on the Dave Ramsey show talking about how great Cyberdust is, right? And, you know, 20-somethings, teenagers... Not many yeah. of them are listening to the Dave Ramsey show. So that might be a great platform to be on. If you're like B2B people who are high on security, that, that could be an awesome platform to be on. Can I just mention some pitfalls to joining a social network early on? Yeah. So Periscope is also a new channel. That How long ago did that come out, Brandon? Uh, it got it got really hot this past spring with Meerkat and it was Periscope. Just, it was just a few months ago. Yeah. I remember really I downloaded up. Periscope. And literally, every single channel was some 16-year-old girl who had the camera going. She had 100 different people watching her, and she was doing nothing. And she was getting 100,000 hearts, right? And I couldn't find a single piece of really good content on Periscope because it was completely saturated with all these tweenies and, and these young people who are exploring the new the newest thing, right? So it's just cluttered with junk, with crap. Do you want to tell someone to get off your lawn right now? I don't know what that means. <laughs> you sound like an, like a, an angry old man. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if I'm going to join a social network and I'm going to check out what it is and I'm trying to think, you know, how can I, how can I leverage this new social network with my brand and my company? How am I going to do that if, it seems like the only people on this social network are people that I'm not going to be targeting. It's back to the audience question. If the, if the network is not in agreement with your audience, there's really no reason to go into it. Unless, for example, if you're, in, if you're trying to do, do audience building, if you're trying to promote some type of content, then you can try to piggyback off of their audience. But honestly, when, when, a, social media, when a, a social network doesn't have a good infrastructure... For example, you have the all, all the, the teenage girls that just jump on there and, and a bunch of the millennials that jump on there that are, 
do you care about talking to them? Okay, so I think it comes back to risk versus reward, right? Because we're, we're talking about 2015 and social media. And one of the things we're promoting is hop on the newest things because there's not a lot of competition, right? It's not like a Facebook or, or a Twitter where hundreds of millions of people are on there. We're talking about getting started at the ground floor. So the risk is the amount of time and resources you're spending trying to build that audience. Where's the reward and how long is it going to take to get that reward? Whereas you could be taking that exact same amount of time and putting it toward one of the more established social networks. So sure. that, that's, that's the, that, well, that's the decision proven, that yes. I'm stuck with. I think yes. that I think with a new platform, it presents an opportunity for some businesses to alter their brand if the platform is in line with their brand. So let's take audience outside of it, right? Yeah, Cyberdust is built around security, anonymity, one-on-one communication. If your brand is built on security, anonymity, and one-on-one communication, maybe that's a great platform for you regardless of whether or not the audience is already there because you can build the audience, bring your audience to that platform. You look at a brand like JetBlue, and JetBlue's current brand was built by Twitter, I would say, because they are famous for responding to every tweet having awesome customer service. People take tons and tons of screenshots of their Twitter conversations. So maybe JetBlue's audience wasn't on Twitter to begin with, but they kind of built their brand in line with how Twitter works. And now now it's like the perfect platform for them. So they made it the perfect platform. It's an issue of foresight, honestly. If the audience isn't there yet, but as you said, if they align with what the future audience will be, and if you can see that ahead, then yes, you're going to be ahead of the game. Whereas if you're waiting for everybody to catch up, and then suddenly you've discovered that, hey, my audience is actually there. But now it's a lot more expensive and time-consuming to get onto the platform. That's where the benefit comes in. But you need the foresight to be able to decide, does this align with my goals? Is this a good use of my time? Or are my efforts better spent elsewhere? Well, here's a counter to the, not anyone specific, but the, the idea that I mean, again, I go back to every time I should be going back to this about the conversation. You have to do as much as your resources allow. So being on every single social network is obviously unrealistic for many people who don't have the resources. Because I would say if you're going to do a mediocre job, don't be in the network yet. Do a good job when you do invest into it. But I would argue that every single social network, regardless of how new or how old, has all of our demographics that we're looking for. Snapchat, you look at, is majority... I I believe it was uh, over 70% women and majority of the audience was between 17 and 24. So then you have a company like Jacob at Myriad Genetics, who I would guess has an older audience. There are 50-year-old women who are on Snapchat. There are 70-year-old men who are on Snapchat. A very small number, Ah, but they're there. They're they're on every – and you look at Cyberdust or Google+, which has an older, probably more male-dominated audience. There are 14-year-old girls who are on Cyberdust. They're, they are on... That's a horrible example because it makes me sound like a pervert, but there are... <laughs> wrong age group there, but there are know, young... Man. Yeah, sure, they're and there. Even if there's five of them... They might be there, but... They're there, it's and... Not worth, it's not worth your time. And do they to, care about I, the content you're going to produce? See, I would say, it again, if you have the resources, do it. If you have limited, then yeah, you're probably better off investing into, you know, putting all your time into Instagram and whatnot. But even if you have 
50 fans on Cyberdust who are in your age group. Those 50 fans are going to love you because your competitors aren't there. They, they go nowhere else. So as a marketer, when I look at those, when I look at businesses who are not on there, I just think, man, opportunity. My competition's ignoring it because they don't see the target audience. Bottom line is it's either going to be there or not. I don't want to risk not being there once it does take off. You look at Twitter. The Twitter audience has changed. Facebook has changed. It's gone from you know younger to an older audience. And those who adopted early took the risk. I believe that the reward greatly out, outweighs the risk. The worst case is, ah, well, you look at Google+. Plus. Some people are dropping it because they claim it's dead. What do they lose? They still built. They still built. They probably got new customers from it. Those customers have gone on to join other social networks. Listen, why not? Isn't Google claiming Google Plus is dead? Well, no. Google, Google's ripping off part. Google Plus <laughs> yeah, is still going to be a good alive. Point. Yeah, because during that time when Google Plus wasn't dead, they were generating results. From they're generating the results. Yeah. They're getting customers to go. Even if you get into Snapchat, hey guys, hey all of you, you five seventy-year-old guys, come join us on this network. Yeah. And let's be honest, like we have a flawed premise here, or flawed idea that getting on a platform early equals success later if the platform takes off. It's no, not, it gives, they're not it gives stocks. You, it can give you the step up. That's I'll, Only a little bit. I don't think that's worth it. You look at someone who, like, look at the early adopters of Facebook. I was on in 2005. I don't have more followers because I was on in 2005. Well, Facebook, I think, is, is an anomaly, mostly because you can go on and have zero followers, throw some money at it, and all of a sudden, your your product and your the ad is getting business. everybody, right? Whereas most platforms don't have an ad network like Facebook does. But I want to come back real quick to what Brandon said. He he kept well. I feel like we haven't gone beyond the demographics of age and gender, right? Because there's also industry. Yep. So coming back to the the mirror genetics, we we our target audience are physicians okay and and physicians are all age groups all genders we have men we have women we have people in their 20s we have people in their 70s so it's all over but i, I imagine some 60 year old obgyn going home getting on their instagram looking at their grandkids or or whatever and all of a sudden there's a mary genetics image and it's hard for me to imagine them ever wanting that in their feed because instagram for most people, isn't necessarily meant to follow a brand, or if it is following a brand, it's a brand that's a little bit more interesting than genetic testing. Well, yeah, I think if you're just going to throw a picture, the, the problem is, is so many marketers just look at it and say, how do we talk about our brand yeah. on this network? These new networks are forcing you to talk to the customers, show them interesting facts. So you, you're forced, especially with Instagram, where there's not just link span like Twitter has, Instagram, you're, you're forced to have a really good image that's compelling. It fits in with Instagram. And so you're forced to be very creative. It's going to take a lot more effort than optimizing for Facebook, Twitter. But I think there's a big advantage if you can craft a message where even if it's just an interesting fact on breast cancer, I think you can have a lot of success still. I say, why not be on there? So hang on. Okay. I, well, I'll just gonna, wait, I'll, I'll wait for the last. Part. Okay. It'll yeah, be. we got to wrap up. I think we we may want to consider going longer than thirty minutes in future episodes, but we got we got to wrap up this one. So let's uh, end with closing comments. Let's have Nathan. Do you want to start? Sure. For me, it's always back to the numbers. I, I do agree with the uh, the first mover advantage, but I also think that if your audience isn't there, there's no reason to make that first move. I, I need the audience, and I need to be able to prove that that audience is going to actually prove results. Jacob? So first I want to say 
it's been obvious that I'm not as creative as I should be. Thank you, Brandon, for pointing that out. <laughs> but what, what I've really gotten from this is not necessarily that you should get on every single social network available, and you should not always be an early adopter of every single social network out there. It, it all depends on your resources, how much time, how much effort, how much passion you have for, for your audience, for your product, for whatever. But I think best practice would probably be measure your resources, see how much time, how much effort you are able to or willing to put towards social media, and then do your research. If, if you find that Facebook or Twitter are heavy hitters and they're bringing in the, the ROI, however you want to define that, then put your effort there. And if you have a little bit more effort, a little bit more time, a little bit more bandwidth to put towards something else, a new venture like a cyber dust, then do it. Explore. Get to know the networks. But coming back to Paxton's point, just because you get on early does not mean that you're going to be successful. You need to be creative, as Brandon has so generously pointed out. Be smart. Do research. Get the statistics and find out which network is best for your demographic and your business. Yeah, I would agree with ditto to what Jacob said. I think the big key is we would all agree that we should have awesome campaigns on every single, I mean, that's the ideal situation is adopt on everything, have awesome content, and even if it's a few a few followers, that's great. The problem is, is we have resources, we have times. If, if we're putting a ton of effort into CyberDust and we're not getting anything out of it, we could have been putting that time towards a network that has been generating leads. And that's that makes sense. So there is the ideal argument versus the realistic side. But I do believe that as social media is evolving, it's forcing our brands and it kind of it, it integrates with the creative side. In order for us to be successful in these new types of social networks, Periscope, Snapchat, WhatsApp, all these things, they're very one-on-one -on -one based. And I think they're becoming more, we need to make our brands more human-centered Periscope is very hard to have a successful Periscope without a person in front of it. It's very hard to have a good Snapchat without a person and or a person to follow. You look at Moz, and I think a big part of why they're so successful is Rand has been a really good face of the company. And you look at the companies that have, they, a lot of the successful ones have a person in front of them. And with these new social networks, if you don't have a face to tie in with these brands, it's going to be a little bit tougher to... And I think content sites are going to struggle a little bit with like Ink Magazine, Business Site. There's not really a face. Their editors, I think, and their writers are going to be forced to start doing more person-to-person -person promotion. And I think that's where companies are going to start realizing is we've got to get our employees involved. We've got to get our, our CEO involved. We've got to get the VP of this involved because we need faces because people don't care about logos anymore. They want to see humans. So that's a totally different topic I'm sure we could discuss in the future, but... Yeah, those are where my, where my thoughts are with social media. All right, I guess I got the final word. I, I again want to reiterate that I, I think early adoption isn't exclusive to platforms. You can be the early adopter on an old network if you're the first brand in your category on that platform. You can also be the early adopter on an old network if you're the first brand to execute a specific strategy that's never been done before on that platform. So there are other ways to take advantage of being uh, an early adopter. Uh, other than just joining every single new social network. One point we didn't bring up that I, I think is a little bit of a counterpoint to what Brandon said about time being used on one platform that could have been spent on another platform that gives an investment. When it comes to content creation, we do have you know the idea of content atomization where we have one big piece of content. We split up into multiple pieces that work on m many different platforms. So theoretically, we could be working on several platforms 
while only putting forth effort of working on one, just splitting it up. That's not the best uh, way to go about it because Twitter should have different content than Instagram. But it, it is one way to kind of dip your toe into a new platform, see how it works without expending a lot of resources on that platform. Uh, obviously, you can tell that we have lots and lots to say about this. Uh, to, to read more about what it is that we have to say about uh, social media, early adoption, and other topics, uh, check out our website. It's belowthefold.io, and uh, you can read more about us there. Catch you next time.